everyone, it's Kyla. Welcome back to my Let's Appreciate podcast. So if you haven't listened to the Let's Appreciate podcast before, or if you're new to my channel, I talk about the stock market and the economy amongst other things. I'm also gonna start saying that I talk about crypto because that has become an increasingly um, important part of my personal dialogue. done one of these in a while I just didn't do it and I a lot of people made comments and I got some interesting questions about it and just was like okay maybe I'll maybe I'll revisit this and, and try again uh, today I'm just going to really I'm kind of combining the market update and just some other thoughts that I've been having into this podcast because I didn't do a market update last week because I it was a little bit, um, how, how, how would one say, preoccupied. And it's so funny, like the concept. Also, uh, so this podcast is really just a time for me to sort of talk. I'm going to be talking about the market and all of that other stuff, but I'm also giving myself free reign to go into my random thought things that I tend to edit out of my videos. Now I can't even remember what I was talking about. We get for just going down so many different rabbit holes. Oh yeah, the process of time. I was talking about time thing last night about the concept of being busy because I've tried really hard not to say that I'm busy to people because it sounds like I don't prioritize or that I don't value whatever they're asking me to do. Like, oh, I'm too busy for you. I'm too busy for you. So I usually say that I haven't allocated the time or if I haven't made the time for something because that's really the thing is, is it comes down to like allocation. So I, I guess I, I would say I am busy to a certain extent, but I'm also not busy in the sense that I work from home and that I don't have a commute. Really, you know, just me <laughs> hanging out. Like the busyness concept is very personal. Uh, anyway, so I've also tried to, you can't see this if you're listening on the podcast podcast, but I've tried to decorate my room. I'm moving. So I will not be in this apartment next week so probably maybe even my next video you won't see this apartment so goodbye furnitureless apartment i put my plant right there and i put some lights around my plant to try and give it this more of an aesthetic vibe also i have a little bit of a cold so if things sound a little bit scratchy just know that i have succumbed to nature all right let's get into this i i also i used to do weekly market updates and i still want to but I, I found them to be, I think there's too much emphasis on the minute by minute news. Like what I try to accomplish with my market updates is these are concepts that you need to know for the future. These are concepts that you need to know in order to execute on certain ideas. This is not going to be like a get rich quick sort of thing. That's like really not, that's not what we're trying to get across here. Just getting right into it. Uh, Nicola founder Trevor Milton hired Elon Musk's lawyers. So Nicola was the company that rolled their truck down the hill. These are the lawyers that dealt with Musk's uh, 2019 SEC let's go private tweet so these people really know how to work with the SEC and basically get the person off scot-free because Elon Musk has like never been never gotten his Twitter really taken away or anything like that also with the Delta variant which is getting concerning the China economic forecasts are getting smushed 
So everybody's going in bearish on China. JP Morgan cut its forecast for Q3 GDP down from 7.4% to 6.7%. Nomura cut it down to 5.1% and Goldman cut it down to 2.3%. So a lot of people are pretty bearish on China just because of the idea that you know growth is going to be compressed and then also inflation will pick up and China's had a really big problem with inflation like I know I talked about the United States being inflated and stuff but China has had a really big issue because they've just grown so quickly they have so many products and I did this piece um, with the freedom index that you should go check it out about China um, and sort of like how they think of their country in terms of economic growth and that they want to focus on hard tech, not soft tech, and they just want to grow. China has been growing so rapidly and so aggressively that I think a lot of people are expecting a little bit of reversion to the mean. Also in the ETF land, active non-transparent ETFs have taken in 600 million year to date, which is just 0.1% of the total flows into ETFs despite being issued by huge brands. Basically, and this gets into a kind of like an, Eric talks a lot about this on Twitter, but it gets into like this really interesting issue with ETFs, where I kind of addressed it in the China video where you have this index fund uh, manager problem, like this triangle where everybody's inherently tracking each other. And I don't know if I did a great job explaining it in the video, but basically the whole thing is like, imagine, Imagine that you're like playing basketball, right? Like let's say it's an index, right? So it's um, MSCI. So MSCI is going to be an index manager and they're playing basketball and they're shooting the basketball into the hoop. And you, in there, it's like horse, right? That game horse where you have to shoot it really similarly to them. MSCI, the index manager, shoots the basketball into the hoop and they shoot it from the three point line and they make it into the hoop, but they don't touch the rim. They don't touch the rim. And so then the fund issuer, so like an ETF issuer like BlackRock comes up and they have to shoot it almost the same way that the index manager did. So the fund manager bounces the ball, shoots it into the hoop. It kind of touches the rim, but it's only like, but it's still really, really close because they have to track the index. So they have to shoot it almost exactly the same way, almost exactly the same way. And then the asset manager comes up. So think of like CalPERS, think of um, a big institutional investor and they come up and they have to shoot it the, almost the exact same way as everybody else. And they can deviate by about 1%. So they can touch the rim. Let's say that they shoot the ball, they kind of touch the rim, but it's like 2% more so. It's 2% to the left versus how the index and the fund shot it. The asset manager can't really do that because of tracking error. And so it has to maintain somewhat of a similar arc of a shot as both the index and the fund. So that's the issue, right? Like it's really hard to shoot the same way as somebody in the game of horse, but that's basically what we're asking the asset managers to do relative to the index and funds. So I hope that example is a little bit more helpful. Just not a lot of like little baby ETFs floating around, not a lot of middleman ETFs. And even though they're ran by this, these really big corporations. And there's also this concept of um, data vortex where everything trades like really similar to the SPY. So everything's sort of being constructed in the same way that the SPY is. Like even if you buy like a FANG ETF, well, it's like, okay, the FANG stock, so Facebook, app, um, Facebook, Apple, uh, I don't even know what the FANG stocks are anymore. Let's say Facebook, uh, Apple, Amazon, I think it was Netflix, but I don't know if Netflix counts anymore. And then Google and like Microsoft, FANGM. 
you say, okay, I'm gonna buy an ETF that's like specific to those. And I was like, well, you might as well just buy the SPY. And so you get this beta vortex where everything sort of trades really similarly. And that's not great for diversification, which is the only free lunch in investing. Huge shout out to Dr. Ron Rhodes at Western Kentucky University. He drilled that into our heads. Yeah, that's, that's the issue with financial products in general. And it's really interesting to think about that because like one of my MOs is, is financial education. Like that's literally probably like my main goal in life is financial education. How do we get more people to like learn about finance? And when you look at like how financial products are structured and it's like, does everybody need to know like how to trade stocks? Does everybody need to buy a stock? Maybe better off in ETFs and it's sort of with this beta vortex issue. It's like, well, you know, when somebody's born just throw them into the spy. It's really an interesting, thing to solve for. And now that I've really focused on it for the past few months, like developing concepts around the idea of financial education. And a lot of people, you know, ask questions about it. And it's like, well, how would you do it? And it's like, well, you really have to focus sort of like on this bridge, right? Because you have these people that, you know, they have money. Everybody eventually will have money. So like you're in high school, you get your first paycheck. What do you do with it? And then you maybe open up an account with Robinhood and you buy some shares of Starbucks. But then what do you do? When do you sell it? <laughs> um, how, like, what else do you buy? How do you build a portfolio? There's so many aspects of financial education that either can be automated away or we need to like quiz people in order to understand if that's actually what they want. Because some people, like some of my friends, frankly, they don't want to hear me talk about finance all the time. And I, that's totally fine. Um, but like, what do we do for them? How do we make uh, their their process of, you know, growing a portfolio even better? Uh, and yeah, it's, and, and, okay, another brief tangent. There's also been a very big proliferation, I've spoken about this for a while, is like the concept of social investing apps. I, you not we don't need 14 social investing apps we don't we really really don't and it's getting to the point where it's kind of frustrating not everybody wants to trade and you have to build a product that is inclusive for people who don't want to trade and now the concept is like well you know you could piggyback on that like the ideas of other people like people like me a financial creator people could piggyback on my ideas which is like great in theory but also like regulation as i'm going to talk about with crypto as i'm um you know that's sort of talked about with financial products that's a big problem and there's a reason as much as it sucks there's a reason that there's sort of like you know a little bit of if, gatekeeping to the process of actually managing money like you have to be a fiduciary um yeah it's super and then the whole idea of like eToro and this copy trade like eToro it's it's mad money that just runs through that copy trade system on there and it's right like it's simple it's easy it's like okay copy copy and to the extent to that it matters right like most of the time if you're like copying somebody into facebook it's not going to be that bad um it's kind of interesting to, to think about. Hmm. It's an interesting thing to solve for. And it, for me, like, and I'll stop talking about it because I know everybody doesn't want to hear me rant for five minutes about social investing apps, but we have these gaps, right? We have all these gaps and there's some, there's some core component onboarding that's missing. All right, that's enough of that. That's enough of that. 
I, this is how it is all the time up in my head. Also, I said the podcast was me blah 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 blahing, so welcome to the blah blah. On a completely related note, Crocs are on fire, so if you haven't seen the influencers wearing their Crocs around, they're doing it again. There's basically like a resurgence of early 2000s fashion. I was at the mall, strangely enough, on Friday, and there was a bunch of like like young kids, like, you know, 12 or whatever, around me, and they all had like little crop tops on, and they they were wearing like low-rise jeans, uh, and it was like very early 2000s, and I was young during the early, like I was, I was really young during the early 2000s, but they were not alive. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it was just kind of funny to see, see that resurgence happen, like big, little shirt, big pants. Nothing is original. Everything has been worn before. And now it's just early 2000s back again. And it's kind of interesting. I like some of the styles. And I was also talking with one of my friends, um, Jake, and he was just like, yeah, basically, you know, once you turn like 20, you just kind of pick a style and stick with it forever. And this gets into the concept of luxury goods and why I think luxury is so sticky. So Bernard Arnault became the richest man in the world again this week, this past week, and he beat out Bezos again this past week. And um, the whole idea is like Bernard owns this huge, huge conglomerate of all these like really luxurious brands, really well-to-do brands. And he's so sticular about how they operate. And it's really interesting to read about how he, he like goes to 25 stores a day and like makes sure that they're doing okay. And if, if like very fashionable stores that he owns ends up in a sort of a strip mall area that it evolved, like the area that they're in evolves into like a strip mall, or if the mall begins to be a place where, you know, people, where it's like less luxurious than it was, they're going to move everything out of there. So Bernard's like, hey, we're gonna make this an experience for the customers. We're gonna make sure that the whole entire aesthetic is just so luxurious that people will have no choice but to pay premium prices. It's, it's really fascinating and it's just been so sticky for so long. I made a TikTok about it and I was and I started it, which was stupid, and I was like, the richest man in the world. And everybody in the comments was like, actually, he's not the richest man in the world. We don't even know who's really rich out there. And which is so true, right? Like, crypto billionaires, crypto trillionaires soon enough. And then you've also got world leaders that are definitely raking in big cash. Like if somebody published Janet Yellen's speaking fees. Yeah, no, this is like, this is not even Bernard's game. But uh, he's the richest man that we know of. So that's, that's what I'm sticking with. I try not to speculate, she says as a stock market person. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Bernard Arnault, richest guy in the world, the power of luxury. It's really, I've, I've done a lot of pieces about him and he is worth about 200 billion, has spent 40 years building out this massive brand. And what happened was he, he, was, he was born into wealth. His dad owned a civil engineering company and he went to New York and was in the ride with the cab, cab driver. Another tangent, sorry. 
Okay, everybody's like, oh my god, once your shoeshine boy says something about a stock, you should sell. Or that's when you know it's the market top. That's so freaking rude. Do you know how many, like, these shoeshine people talk to so many freaking people every single day? The idea that they're not going to have some intellectual alpha over you is ridiculous. Like, of course, they're gonna know what's going on. They listen. Um, cab drivers they listen i would say if those people are saying something that's who you should freaking listen to they hear so much driver was like hey i know oh one more tangent and then i'll stop because i know you're not like this is like i'm breaking all the laws of podcasting i um my brain moves a whole lot faster than my mouth so in my videos if i do that like it did did uh that's because i'm having trouble like getting the words out that's it. Uh, so Bernard Arnault wanted an international empire and he bought Christian Dior in 1984 and the French government was like, yeah, that sounds really good to us. And only if he keep jobs though. And Bernard was like, yeah, of course I'll keep jobs. Duh. And he didn't. <laughs> so he just fired, I think it was like 80% of the workforce and got rid of a ton of people. And he was ruthless and he just, he just grew and he wanted, um, he wanted Hennessy and Louis Vuitton, and at the time, Louis Vuitton and Hennessy had formed to form LVMH, or they had merged to form LVMH, which um, also owned Dior's perfume business. Trung has a really good good thread that I'm basically like reading off right now. But yeah, so Bernard wanted he wanted that, and so he was like, "Hey, I'm gonna buy it from you. Here's a certain he here's a certain amount of money," and he played them off each other, and he just continued to buy brands. He was known as Wolf in Kashmir, and he just bought everything up. He most recently they bought uh, 16 billion for Tiffany's, which is the Blue Blocks jewelry brand, and he. I mean, just a ton of luxury brands that he has been able to sort of keep a moat around. And they basically operate as standalone businesses, which is probably like the best business model that you can get into. If you can have like the core like business unit and then have like all these separate brands that are like managed by themselves, like not franchises, right? But sort of like managed by themselves where it's not your overhead all the time, where they have their own like cost loss and profit sort of uh, situation. And the thing is like, there's such a moat around luxury that because he has so much power there, he'll basically just stamp out anybody or buy them out who he wants to have. And he's able to do that because he's super freaking rich, which is awesome. I'm really rich due to stocks, which is also like why we need to get more people in the stock market. All these, all these really rich people are mostly rich because they own a lot of stock in their companies. And like, I think, uh, yeah, LVMH is up 56% year over year, which is just disgusting. And uh, he was worth 73 billion in March, 2020, and now is about 200 billion. So, I mean, me too, honestly, like I am also worth 200 billion, so I can really, <laughs> a single tear just rolled down my cheek. That's on the power of luxury. Also, factory orders were stronger than expected, so it seems like the economy is, is sort of recovering. Things are definitely moving fast. I think there's a lot of worries about the Delta variant, but things that are not moving fast is the chips, so semiconductors, the BMW, and other automakers came out and said, yeah, we're super freaking worried about our chip shortage. Um, you might not have vehicles next year. In that same vein, Google is going to begin building out their own smartphone processors, so not doing Qualcomm, they're going to just do their own thing, which makes a lot of sense. But it's going to be interesting to watch, so, like, this, uh, you know, how everybody 
the global supply chain was like everything in in the early in the nineteenth in the nineteen hundreds, it was like the global supply chain, the global supply chain, the global supply chain. But now I think we're going to see sort of the segmentation of that because COVID revealed so many gaps in the global supply chain, and I still think there's so many efficiencies to be had from having that. Like I don't think that we can operate without other countries, and that's why I get super frustrated when I see like the whole trade war stuff. And it's like, dude, come on! Like the idea of comparative advantage should be ingrained in your head by now. But it's. I think these companies that have historically relied on things for like, on on other brands for these core components of their own processes are going to have to have more fail safes in place because they just can't do it. Um, will be interesting to see the unbundling of the global supply chain. Will it be good. Will it be bad. I'm not sure. I feel like I say that a lot. Will it be good? I I try to remain neutral in most of my uh pieces because I don't think my opinion is that important most of the time I'm just one Kyla and a sea of like I think there's a hundred other Kylas out there um so yeah but I don't know if it'll be good or bad I guess in my mind I think it, it'll be helpful that they do have more fail safes in place they are thinking about sort of that what if things do go wrong but I also could see a lot more resentment. That's something I'm a little worried about is a lot more resentment, a lot more unwillingness to sort of collaborate. And I do think that we need that. But speaking of overseas sales, PepsiCo is selling their juice to a French company for 3.3 billion. So Tropicana, Naked. And I think there's been a decline in juice. I don't think people are vibing with juice like they used to. It seems like it's sort of like that unhealthy, like sugary thing. And now with the rise of like sparkling water and all the various milk products, I just don't think juice has the same space. I think green juice does, but I, I'm not sure if juice itself has the same uh, place in the heart of the consumer that it used to. See the ideal breakfast in, in those commercials when I was younger, it's like you'd have a bowl of cereal and an orange juice, but that's a ton of sugar. And so I think like then this, um, as we sort of lean into this health vibe that the, that the consumers want, uh, you're going to see juice sort of have a reinvention. But speaking of other th things that people are buying, a lot more people are buying teeth whitening toothpaste. I went to Target <laughs> the other day and the luggage was completely out. I posted it on Twitter, just a picture, and I was like, indicator, hmm, empty luggage aisle in Target. I didn't say what it was an indicator of, hmm, but people were speculating in my comment section, which I thought was interesting. I, I didn't say what it was an indicator of. It could have been an indicator of a good time <laughs> or, or an indicator of a bad supply chain, an indicator of travel. I didn't say, but people are like, you're wrong. And I was like, how could I be wrong if I didn't say anything, <laughs> you know? Um, online world is funny. But uh, there was a lot of good points, like, oh, people are traveling. Um, oh, this I think the supply chain is a good concept. But yeah, I, I do think this sort of teeth whitening toothpaste, a lot of people buying luggage, a lot of people buying fancier clothes, people want out, people want out. Yeah, also, so I didn't do a weekly market update last week, but the, the RRP finally reached one trillion. Heck yeah, good job, everybody. <laughs> if you want, if you're like, what what's RRP? I have a piece on it. Uh, in a video, so go ahead and check that out. And I talk about what it means and how it's basically just a sink for money. And um, yeah, the fact that it hit one trillion and it was like not even being used a couple of months ago, it was just wild. 
there's so much money. So much money. The money in China, uh, so did a piece on China. Uh, China, again, cracked down on Tencent, called it spiritual opium, it's gaming, video gaming. So China is just like chopping everything up. It'll be really interesting to see how that space evolves and what they go after and how American investors respond. I like So I talked a little bit about that index fund asset manager relationship. I think there's also a lot to be said about what investors see China. They tend to see China as the same way that they see the United States. So they're like, oh, you know, China tech's the same way as American tech. That's not really the case because China doesn't see it the same way. So there's a lot of gaps, I think, in the investor understanding of China and how, how everything relates there. Also, speaking of investors, Gary Gensler wants to regulate and focus on investor protection. So I, I made this dumb little video that I'm going to include. It's just like a bop. Um, so I made a bop about Gary Gensler. Hi, this is Gary Gensler of the SEC Crypto. We're not neutral. neutral, neutral. Nakamoto's innovation is real. Buy and sell um, 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 securities. See, crypto, 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 crypto trading platform, but have the same level of investment thousands of other companies. The, the goal of investment currently are considering investing in crypto, 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 crypto. They are highly speculative, significant gaps. Investment protection. And moving forward, promoting investment protection. Part of finance is trust. Trust and trust wrestling. Investor protection. Investor protection. But the whole thing is like he just wants to, you know, he, he really wants in on crypto. He wants to make sure that there aren't these gaps in investor protection because right now it does seem like people are just going crazy. And I'm going to talk, I have a whole section on crypto. So don't worry. <laughs> Uh, I, I will definitely address the things that have been happening recently in the space. Also, Square bought Afterpay and JPM was like, yeah, Square does all the things that we can't do. I, I think the buy now, pay later space is really similar to the social investing space where it's like, well, you have so many players, who's going to win? I'm not sure. I think that, you know, I made a video on it on TikTok and obviously I, I gauge a lot of sentiment on my comments. And everybody was like, oh, this is really bad, like extending credit to people. And it's it's zero interest. But I think the concept of like, here's something that you can't buy right now, but here's how you can buy it. That's totally great. Like, I do think that you do need sometimes like that that end-to-end -end help. But I worry to the extent that people are buying things that they can't afford with this buy now, pay later stuff. I think there has to be some sort of framework around when you should use it, but also like, who am I to tell people when, what are, what are, what, what they can and can't buy. That's, that's not my place. But I do worry about this whole concept of consumerism where we're like, hey, spend as much money as you can on as many things as you can all the time. And just, Consumer spending is two-thirds of GDP. Consumer spending is two-thirds of GDP. So all the time, they're going to want us to spend, which is why we have buy now, pay later, because they want to prop up the economy. Yay. <laughs> but what is our purpose here on Earth? <laughs> but I've, I haven't done a live on TikTok in forever, which is flawed because the app wants you to, and I'm just like, no. <laughs> um, so I find them really scary. But... Uh, I went on live and somebody asked me, how do you sort of reconcile working in finance, which is such a, you know, toxic industry, they do so many bad things, 
and you're not contributing to the good of the world. And I was like, oh, I've thought about that before though, because I think one of the most important things that we can know is what's going on in the world around us. And the economy is like a huge, huge part of that. But it also does become like, how much value am I adding? Am I making a difference? Am I really helping people? And it's sort of tough to think about that. And I do think like to put the spotlight on myself, I do think that I am, but I think that sometimes the industry can be a net negative. But you need allocators, you need investors, or else you even have the companies that we have. So the financial system, for all the flaws that it has, is really like the bones of, of how we kind of get stuff done, just because you do need money to get stuff done. There's this guy on TikTok who is making, I don't know what he's doing, but he is like building an electric thing in his backyard. And he doesn't have any any money, right? Like he doesn't have funding, but he's just doing the thing. And I think to the extent that people do the thing and then they get investments, that's how we grow, right? And to have investments, you have to have allocators. But that was like a whole thing on Twitter too. It's well, you know, what are allocators? But so that's how I think about it and, and sort of reconcile it. Getting into crypto. <laughs> um, so getting into crypto, yeah. I don't know what's going on in crypto. So I made a video about the infrastructure bill because somebody asked me to and I wanted to because it's it's so confusing. Like there's so many moving pieces. So I made a quick video and I'll include that. But people, Warner and Portman were like, hey, let's stack crypto and just throw it into this massive infrastructure bill that has to get passed. And there were, they were the language was really confusing. It was clear that they really didn't know like what they were referring to. And it was going to make a lot of people responsible for information that they had no way of sort of getting. And the issue with the whole thing is it seems like they don't know what they're talking about. And which is fine because crypto is confusing, but you can't just like make legislation. <laughs> you can't just like make legislation about things that you don't know about as they kind of do that all the time. But then they have aides and stuff and who write up things and, but yeah, it kind of evolved and it was really interesting to watch it evolve on Twitter and just everybody sort of making these comments. And there was a couple of key people that I was, you know, reading and it just sounded so, like the whole system just sounded so stressful and the cryptocurrency community is has to be anonymous to a certain extent or a lot of people are and there isn't a lot of you know lobbying going on or there wasn't and now there is because you know, they were like whoa so i think the crypto world is going to come under increasing scrutiny you know if it's not from gary gensler it is from the white house because the white house was like yeah they they sided with this more important agreement which was more um critical of crypto versus this widen uh uh, WLT amendment, which was more supportive of like innovation, more supportive of actually, you know, taxing people that could get taxed. And so it just evolved into like this really big nightmare and, and they can't, and it's an amendment on the infrastructure bill. So they have to pass this infrastructure bill. Um, but everything is like not moving as quickly as it should. And this, and the, it might get down to the point where they just throw out all the amendments and is, that probably won't be a good thing for, for crypto either. And so it's really just evolved into like this, this big nightmare. All the same while, like the NFT space is blowing up again. So you have penguins, you have rocks, you have mummies and a lot of CryptoPunk sales. So NFTs are on fire. There's a good tweet about it. 
where it's great that all of, like I, I support NFTs, I think they're great because the whole thing is like you can own something that belongs to you and NFTs are a lot more tangible, like the concept of owning something is a lot more tangible than the idea of DeFi, which is decentralized finance, like that's just like, well, why does that help me? Yeah, so as all that's happening, we have the crypto infrastructure bill and it's sort of funny that, you know, this, this giant, like $1.7 trillion infrastructure bill they've been working on it for a long time and it's like our water systems, our electric grids, our bridges, our tolls and the thing that everybody's like fired up about in my corner of the world is crypto. When I film these podcasts I get very like confused. I don't know, maybe not confused but I, I begin to reflect on my own assumptions that I, I tend to just like sort of process and store they just put on the memory card versus like actually running it through a you know the actual processing system in my head and you begin to reflect on the things that matter to you and matter to the world that you exist in speaking of systems and highways uh the eth london hard fork so basically london is going to add a few lanes to the ethereum network to tamp down traffic and is standardizing some toll prices i thought that was a really good example so basically there's a london hard fork that's going to make ethereum a little bit more um, efficient a little bit more affordable in terms of transactions. There was also a really good tweet about the metaverse. So the metaverse has become like a hot topic again. The big reason why metaverse as a term is exploding is that multiplayer roles can now make a living, multiple player roles can now make a living and drive status online and for more and more people that feels more attainable than the physical world. Yeah, I mean, I think that's an important point that everything online feels a little bit more attainable than like operating in person sometimes. I just thought that was an interesting point as we kind of like contextualize everything that happens is sort of like the underlying behavioral psychology behind it. Online space is where I basically grew up, where a lot of people in my generation grew up and it's going to feel more attainable for us to operate in that space versus maybe the quote unquote physical world. So, hmm. All right, so that's everything that kind of happened in the market this week. Some big concepts, some big tangents. Um, on my end, so what happened, what happened in Kyla's week? <laughs> Um, not that anybody ever asked. I'm featured in Bloomberg. What the heck? Right? Like, oh my god. Okay, can I just like, since it's my podcast, I'm just gonna tell everybody a secret if you've made it this far. Um, it has always been like a really big dream of mine to be noticed by Bloomberg, I guess. It's really neat. And you know, I was featured with some amazing people, like some amazing people like Callie, like Lily, uh, who, Lily Frankis, Caitlin Cook, and so much more. So it was really quite the honor. So many amazing people have invited me on their podcast or have asked me if they could write an article about me. And it's just such an honor. It's just such an honor. Like that that many people, you know, want to talk to me and, and want to know, you know, what I do and have interest in how I do things. Like it's just so... It's just so nice. And okay, I'm gonna stop talking about it. But in the, hopefully this didn't come off as like self-promotional, but I just want to thank you all who listen to me, who watch my videos, who are so freaking supportive in my comment section. Um, I see you and I cannot even begin to express my gratitude for you coming along. I say that I'm so incredibly grateful and I'm so thankful to you for just being there for me and for giving me this space to talk about this stuff and for wanting to learn like 
you are, this is, you know, you, right? Like the Bloomberg piece, it wasn't really about me, right? It's about all these people that want to learn about the markets that have a, an interest in sort of thinking about things differently from buying a way of like the way the traditional media tends to present things and, and really digging in deep into what does this all mean? How do we learn about it? How do we execute upon it? So thank you, means the freaking world. I'm gonna get off my little soapbox, my weird little soapbox. Um, but yeah, so I just wanted to say that, just wanted to say a big, like literally the hugest thank you ever in the whole world to you you, my dear listener. Um, let me know if you have thoughts, comments, feedback. I know this one was a full of a lot of tangents and I broke like every podcast rule ever in the whole world. But yeah, this has been really enjoyable and thanks for hanging out and I'll chat with you soon. <laughs> Bye everybody. Talk to you soon.